again, and happy Sabbath to you again. I'm going to read in your hearing from the book of Kings, the second book of Kings, and I'm going to read in your hearing from chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. And the word of God says, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophet cried out to Elisha, saying, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour into all these vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. And then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil. Pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. I want to invite you to join with me as we pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful to you for your word. We thank you for another Sabbath day. Now I ask, so God, as I preach your word to your people, that your name will be so lifted up, the devil will be horrified, your name will be glorified, and your people will be sanctified. So speak through me today, O oh God. Use me as your conduit and bless your people once again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. From time to time in the Bible, we read of stories where God used women to teach us some valuable lessons, some by name, others unnamed. And I'm here today to testify that God is still using women in the 21st century. God has not changed. His methods have not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and will forever be. Indulge me for a few brief moments as we look at how God used an unnamed woman, a broken woman, to teach some invaluable lessons to last from now to eternity. I know there are some broken women in this place today. 
but I have a word for you from God. And that's good news, right? As we celebrate another year, another Sabbath, another Women's History Month, I want to encourage you today that God will continue to take care of you. God will make a way for those who are leaning and depending on him. I don't know what you are going through right now, whether it's a broken home, delinquent children, unemployment, sickness, abandonment, but what I do know is that God is the answer to your every problem. He's the solution to those problems. And I want you to know that God is concerned about every situation, every challenge you face in this life. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to be happy. He wants your need to be met. It is not God's desire to see his children struggling from paycheck to paycheck. He says, the cattle on a thousand hills belongs to me. The problem with us is that we don't trust God enough. We trust the pilot. We trust the cab driver to take us safely from one point to another. Some of us trust our monies, but we must learn to trust in God and put our faith in him. And I am convinced this morning that God is always making provision on our behalf. When it seems like our days are darker than a thousand midnights and your ends don't seem to meet, I admonished you to look to the one from whence cometh your help. We don't serve a punitive God. We serve a God who is working on our behalf, a God who is large and in charge. Permit me today to speak to you on the subject. When you're down to nothing, God is up to something. When you're down to nothing, God is up to something. And I remember as a little girl, my mother would often tell me stories about how God came through for her, even when there seems to be no hope. And this mother in our text today was at wit's end. She was down to nothing. But the most anxiety-provoking statement in this text is in the clause of the first verse. It is a clause that none of us want to hear. The creditor is coming. And many of us will avoid answering the phone because we know the creditor is calling. Do you know what I'm talking about? You start screening your calls and when you receive mails telling you that the bills are past due, then you know the creditor is coming. And knowing the creditor is coming can make one uneasy. No, I'm not talking about those who likes bad credit. I'm talking about those who wants to have good credit. It is not good news to know the creditor is coming and our credit situation is nothing compared to this mother in 2 Kings 4. I want you to think of a loss for a moment. This is difficult to imagine. 
it appears that her husband left for a large debt. It is his creditor who is coming. Many of us today have experienced great losses. Uh, and I suppose all of us have felt some kind of losses. She suffered the loss of her husband. Uh, and some of us may have been hit so hard this year since the year began. But we have bounced back. And it's amazing how in the valley of the shadow of loss and grief, some have taken the hands of the Lord and found strength, but others have turned away from the Lord and become bitter. And somebody in this house today is wondering, how am I going to make it? I just can't seem to make ends meet. Life seems to not treat you right. But I just stop by here to tell somebody today that trusting God is still high premium. But who is this mother in our text today? And what was virtuous about her? What is her story and what was the outcome? This woman is on need. But according to the pages or the passages, she was the wife of one of the sons of the prophet, a man who feared the Lord. They had two sons, the Bible says, but unfortunately, her husband died, leaving to his family a debt that they could not afford. And as a result, the creditor is coming to take her two sons to be his slaves. According to Mosaic laws, Servitude was recognized. As long as the debtor is alive, this law will not be enforced. But now the debtor is dead. Some would hope the debt would die as well. But no, the creditor, the creditor is coming to collect that which he is entitled to. In this case, it was the widow's two sons. And from this we can easily understand the emergency of the situation. The woman, because of an unpaid debt, was about to lose her two sons. And to face this problem, she cried out to Elisha, the man of God. Of course, her choice to run to this, in this critical time to the man of God was not accidental. Really? When the time is so limited... The creditor is coming. As a matter of fact, he's on the way. And knowing the creditor is on the way, you do not go to those who cannot help you, but to those you know can help. And obviously, the man this woman believed could help her was Elijah, the man of God. Evidently, she was determined to fight this difficulty but to fight it with God. This mother is terrified at the prospect of losing her sons uh, to become slaves. This mother is at her wit's ends. Then the question becomes, what does she do? But I want to share with you a few things she does not do. She does not wait to see how it's going to turn out. She does not become angry at God and asks, why me? She does not consider filing bankruptcy, but she realizes that the debt is due 
you know, some folks make debts and refuse to pay or make a debt and say, my credit is bad anyhow. But I have good news for you today. You see, good credit will take you a long way. When your credit is good, you can walk into any store and purchase whatever you want. You can apply for a loan and get it with no monthly fee. Well, this woman tries to do something. She cries out to Elisha. And I want you to see Elisha's availability. Elijah was there. He was ready to help this widow. He did not condemn her for the debt. And in my personal opinion, there must be much time before the widow and her husband reach this state of insolvency. You certainly do not arrive at this point in one day without in the meantime handling many things wrongly. However, the point was not what had happened. What happened, happened. What counted now was not the past, but the present. She needed immediate support. And to find it, she sought the Lord. Am I talking to anybody? Also, we see that Elisha, he did not try to get rid of the woman because the problem was too difficult. She certainly did not have a solution for her problem, but she knew the God who is bigger than her problem. Can somebody say amen? She did not ask how, or he did not ask, how did you get to this place? What did you do with your income tax return? No, he was available to journey with the terrified woman in her situation. Some of us too often, we are so quick to turn people away when they come to us for help, even when we can help. I know that don't happen in this church. His reply in verse 2 shows that he was ready to help in any way he can. And notice, she doesn't ask him for anything directly. Her circumstances does that for her. But I just came by here today to tell somebody that God can use our deepest needs to give us our richest blessings. This poor widow is in the position to receive and to be filled up. Precisely, she is empty. This widow felt the intense need of God's blessings, and she cried out to God's spokesman. And I love Elisha's response and the conversation that follows in verse 2. Elisha replied, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she replied, your servant has nothing there at all except a little oil. Uh, let me park here as we analyze this for a minute. Elisha's response turns her attention from what she has lost to discover what she still has, just a little oil. Sometimes as we complain, we complain so much about what we don't have that we forget that which we still have. Am I talking to anybody today? Some of us complain about everything as if the God we claim to serve is dead. Thank God for what you do have. 
We serve a God who is bigger than your problems. We serve a God who is large and in charge. You may not have the finest home, but thank God you have a roof over your head. You may not be able to eat steak and, uh, and lamb chops, but thank God you do have food on your table. You may not have money in the bank, but thank God you have a job. Are you hearing me? You may not have a money's clothing in your closet, but thank God for those stuff that you have there from Burlington. Somebody knows what I'm talking about today. You might not be wearing red bottom shoes, but thank God you have feet. You may not have a Rolex, but thank God you have a Timex. <laughs> you need to start praising God for what you do have. Well, this is the direction we need to take in order to receive God's blessings. You see, it's perfectly normal and good to want the best. But there need to be a time where we look at what we do have and thank God for it. And if we can turn our attention to what we still have, we may discover that God's will, we may discover what God's will is for us during our time of emptiness. During our time when it seems like nobody cares, when your money's acting funny and your change is strange, when you feel as though you have reached rock bottom and there is no way up, when you feel like all hell has broken loose on your marriage and you don't know what to do, when you feel like the devil has thrown everything at you, including the kitchen sink, turn your eyes on Jesus and you will find peace. You will find find strength to recover from your grief and trials. And this is a great principle. It is a spiritual principle. This woman felt empty. Emptiness is not ultimate and complete lost. In fact, it may be the very place God has carved out in our lives where he can meet with us. And he can show us how much he really cares. Where he can show us how much we need a savior. So Elisha says, what do you have in your house? And the widow's first response is, I have nothing. And then she remembers, except a little oil. Not really? What good is that? What can I do with a little oil to help with this enormous problem? Do you ever feel or think that you don't have enough of whatever you need to do whatever you have to do? The Bible is full of examples of people who had almost nothing, but they gave what little they had to God, and he did great things with it. But what can God do? What can God do with what little you have? Listen to me. We serve a God who made the universe out of nothing. And it is not too hard for him to take what you have and bless you with everything you need. The real question is not, can God do it? The real question is, 
Will you put everything you have in the hands of God to do as he will, even if it seems that he's promising the impossible? Listen to Elisha's instructions. Go and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. To the logical and unbelieving mind, it would appear silly to get a lot of empty vessels to hold oil when one did not know where the oil was coming from. But I want you to get the lesson here. You see, those uh, who want help from God, they must come to him empty. Come with your messed up selves. Provide him with empty vessels for this poor widow to go out and appeal to her neighbors that she might borrow empty vessels. Lots of empty vessels will be a real test of fate. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your son. Shut the door behind you. Another lesson here. What I discover, what I've discovered, is that sometimes when God is about to do something miraculous, uh, when he wants to bless you, he has to shut some doors in your lives so that other doors can be opened. Sometimes God has to shut some people out of your lives. Remember when God went to Jairus' house to raise his daughter, the people who were gathered there, they laughed him to scorn. He had to put them out, and he took the father, the mother, and three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. He entered into where the damsel was laying, and he rose her from the dead. The same experience with Peter. When Peter went to, 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 to raise the body of Dorcas, Peter had to put them out. The Bible says he put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed. So it seems like when God is about to do big business in your lives, in the lives of his children, he does it where the unbelievers and the scoffers will not see it. You see, some people, they may not understand your blessing. They don't understand your challenge. They don't understand your process. And they sure don't understand what God is doing. Sometimes people may stop speaking to you. You don't even know why. Just leave it alone. Just leave it alone. But I want you to look at this. Pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. And do you see the test in this piece of instructions? Do you see the obedience of this woman? What do you think this woman is thinking right now? I can imagine her heart is fearful, yet expectant. The destiny of her boys depended on the outcome. But this is how God's instructions 
are all the time. And it always requires faith. God asked Noah to build a boat big enough to hold pairs of every animal in the world. Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, the one you love, uh, to the mountain that I will show you and offer him to me as a sacrifice. Faith. If you can trust God with even the smallest thing, you will have no problem trusting God with the biggest things in your life. I want you to get the message. Trust him even when it don't make sense. He is king of kings. He is lords of lords. He's a mighty God. We serve him. He will never fail you. This mother's life was strange all because she had the faith to believe. All because she had the obedience Believe God, my brothers and sisters. He is higher than up. He's deeper than down. He's wider than around. He is sooner than now and quicker than at once. All you need to do is trust God. God is looking for some people up in here. Even one person today who would give themselves to him as empty vessels so that he can fill them up. I don't know what you are going through. But God loves you with an everlasting love. He wants to help you in your challenges. He wants to help you with your struggles. All you need to do is trust him. Can you trust God? Can you really, really trust him? Yes, you can. He loves you with an everlasting love. He cares about every aspect of your lives. And he wants to save you. He loves you with a love that is inexplicable. God loves you with a love that is beyond human comprehension. Try as you may, we humans cannot ascertain or adequately put into words that which is truly indescribable. His love for us is so vast and deep, Shakespeare can't describe it. Speech can't name it. Nouns, speech can't express it. Nouns can't name it. Water can't drown it. Scales can't weigh it. Church, I'm talking about God's love. Fire can't burn it. Art can't portray it. Psychologists can't understand it. Logics can't reason it. Science can't discover it. Adjectives can't describe it. Oprah can't buy it. No one can terrorize it. Putin can't strike it. Earthquakes can't shake it. Storms can't move it. Guns can't stop it. Guns can't blast it. I'm I'm talking about the love of God. Politicians can't change it. Angels can't deny it. Herod couldn't kill it. The grave couldn't hold it. God's love is unconditional, unchanging, unwaverable, incomprehensive. And I'm talking about the love that only God can give. Why don't you put your trust in him today? Why don't you put your faith in him today and see what God is going to do in your life? We serve a good God. We serve an amazing God. We serve a wonderful God. We serve a God who is large and in charge. So I'm here to tell you today that when you're down to nothing, God is up to something. 
May God continue to richly bless us as we continue to trust in God so that he can see us through. God bless you.